Well, good morning, everyone. We got about a 50% response rate there. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to poetry this morning, this beautiful, beautiful Easter morning. God, we love you. We thank you for the gift of this morning. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you uh, just for the incredible opportunity that we have to gather here together in this place to celebrate you, the resurrected King, this Easter morning. Jesus, we love you. We dedicate this morning and our lives to you. Uh, you are greatly to be praised. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, it's a little different this morning, right? It's a little different, but it's beautiful, and we're all here together. What a gift. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. So if you have a Bible with you in your vehicle or a, a phone or some sort of a mobile device, and you can turn to Matthew 28, then you can follow along. I'll give you just a moment to turn there. Matthew 28, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10. But before I begin to read, Friday's a bit of a cliffhanger, right? Friday's a bit of a cliffhanger. And my, my son, Connor, just turned 8, and he said, I don't know what that word means, Dad, cliffhanger. I said, well, when I was younger, you know, back in the days right after the earth's crust cooled. When I was younger, they used to have shows on TV and they called them cliffhangers. And it would be to be continued. And nowadays, kids, they get to binge watch and they get to see things, the immediate gratification. But we had to wait like a week, sometimes two weeks, to find out what happened. And so the story of Jesus on Good Friday is a bit of a cliffhanger. Scripture tells us from Nine in the morning until three in the afternoon, Jesus hung on the cross. Oftentimes we hear that it was the Romans that did it, those Romans. And some people say, no, it was the Jews. The Jews did it, not the Romans. But the reality is it was us, right? It was all of humanity. But the truer reality, the very core truth is, is that Jesus went to the cross willingly, the book of Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him. Amen? For the joy set before him. It's incredible to think that our Lord, the King, would come down from heaven, would allow himself to be born in a feeding trough. Here in poetry, a lot of you are agricultural folks, farmers and ranchers, and you know what that means. Feeding troughs aren't exactly the most sanitary place, right? If your wife was having birth, giving birth to a baby, if she was having a child, you wouldn't say, come on, honey, let's go out to the manger. Let's go out to the feeding trough and deliver baby Kevin. You wouldn't say that. You'd want to be in a clean place, I don't know what they do with the hot water, but when you watch TV and movies, they always say, go get the boiling water. I always tell my wife, that's the one thing I'd be good for. I'll go get the boiling water. I don't know what you're going to use it for, but I'll go get it. Jesus, the king of heaven would come down, allow himself to be born in a filthy animal feeding trough. The king. The title of today's sermon 
resurrected king more than Savior, Jesus. That Friday afternoon, six hours, hanging from the cross, repeatedly, stepping up on a nail-pierced feet and nail-pierced wrists to suck in a quick breath before he'd go back down again. And his lungs would fill up with fluid, his body racked with pain, his flesh literally ripped from his body up and down, up and down for six hours. And then it tells us that at that sixth hour, at three in the afternoon, that he cried out in a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. The cliffhanger. But that's not the whole story. Because Jesus told his disciples all of that was going to happen, that he was going to be crucified. But on the third day, on the third day, I will be raised. Amen? Hey, everybody, it's Sunday morning. We have a resurrected Savior. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. You can follow along or you can just listen. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath, that's Saturday, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he is risen just as he said. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So, departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell the disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Wow. I wonder as I read that, was anybody out there just completely awestruck by the story? Anyone? I hear... I hear a couple of honks, but I don't know that it's true, because we've heard it before, right? We've heard that Jesus was resurrected. That's not new information. We've heard that Jesus came down from heaven. That's not new information. We've heard of angels descending, dressed in clothes that look like lightning as white as snow. But we're not really surprised. We're not surprised at the resurrection. We're not surprised by the stories in the Bible about Jesus casting out demons. We're not surprised about Jesus telling wind and waves, shh, 
and they stop, and it's quiet. We're not surprised when we read that Herod tried to kill little baby Jesus in Bethlehem, ordered the slaughter of all of the young boys under the age of two. We're not really shocked or awed by the fact that magi, these wise men, would travel for two years to come for a brief glimpse, a brief moment of worship. We're not really surprised. We're not really surprised. This morning I heard someone say, I can't believe the clouds parted and the weather cleared up. Somebody said that. I can't believe it. Why can't you believe it? If we have a resurrected king, why is it that you can't believe that God Almighty would separate the heavens so that we could gather together in this place to worship his name? I can't believe it. Shame on you. I don't really mean that. But come on. See, if the stuff that happens in here is true, and it is, and if it's reality, and it is, then why are we so shocked and awed and surprised when God does the miraculous? I'm surprised. I'm just shocked that the clouds would separate and the sun would shine. I'd be shocked if it didn't happen. That's reality. See, for us, I don't think we're surprised because I don't know that the stuff that's in here actually makes it in here. I don't know. See, we look at him as Savior, but do we look at him as King? King of eternity? Christ? Do we? In Matthew 1.1, Matthew had some really incredible stuff to say in that very first verse. Book of Genesis, not a genealogy. Book of Genesis, he's saying that Jesus, who is the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, he's the Genesis. He's the one. I can't believe it. He's the creator of the universe. If Jesus, the eternal son with the Father and the Spirit could say, and the entire universe comes into existence with all of the factors of gravity and all of those constants that, require, that are required for life to exist, if all of those things happen because Jesus wanted it to, why are we surprised? Creator, sustainer, author, Genesis of Jesus, that's his name. Jesus saves, yes, but is that where we stop? See, because like I said, the title of the sermon today is Resurrected King More Than Savior. Is he just Savior in your life? Is he just Savior or is he truly King? Jesus. His name means the Lord saves. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua or Joshua. The Lord saves. That's what he does. But who he is is Christ. He's the King. Amen? So the fact that we're not shocked that he's resurrected from the dead is because we're his followers, right? We're not shocked. We're not amazed. We're not amazed or shocked when God does a miracle in our lives, when he does a miracle in our family's life, when he does a miracle and he resurrects a dead church, 
Are we surprised? No, because that's what he came to do, to take dead, old, dirty, filthy rags and make them new. Amen? That's why he came. Jesus Christ, son of David. See, back there in Christ, Genesis 49.10 tells us that someone's going to come through the line of Judah. Someone's going to come, and he's the Shiloh. He's the Messiah. He's the one to whom, what? All tribute and authority belong. Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? It sounds like God, doesn't it? Because God is the only one to whom all tribute and authority belongs. Son of David, 2 Samuel 7.13 tells us that this person that's going to come that Matthew's talking about, who is now here, the person of Jesus incarnate, Emmanuel, that he's the fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7.13. God says he, not David, but he, one of his descendants, is the one who's going to build a house for God. He's going to build his church. He's going to build it. And that that person who builds his church, Jesus Christ, that he's going to have an eternal kingship. Amen? Eternal. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want him to just be my savior. He's my king. And he's the son of Abraham, Matthew says in 1.1. Why does he say that? Well, in Genesis 12.3, God tells us, that because of Abram's faithfulness, that all of the families, all of the tribes, all of the peoples on earth will be blessed through him. So when Matthew writes, book of Genesis, Jesus, Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, he's saying a whole lot more than ask Jesus into your heart and you can be saved. He's saying he's the king. He's saying he deserves all of our tribute. All of our praise. He's the only one to whom all honor and glory belong. If you're not familiar with the book of Ephesians, there's a man named Saul who persecuted Christians. He was a very zealous, he was a very passionate persecutor of Christians after Jesus' death. And Saul later became this man named Paul who would write the majority of the books in the New Testament. And in Ephesians, Paul writes in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, for you are saved by grace through faith. Many of us take that and we say, we focus on that word saved. I like the idea of being saved. If I'm in a car accident, I would love it if an EMT came along, a, a paramedic. Or maybe even a doctor or a world-class surgeon was on the scene and that they would save me. And then once I'm saved, what I do is I just go back to my life. And I think that's the way a lot of us treat Jesus. Is that he saves us, he redeems us. We ask him into our hearts. We pray a magical prayer. We get baptized in magical waters. And then we say, Jesus, thanks a lot for what you did. Send me the bill. I'll pay it when I get around to it, but I'm just going to get back to my life. See, the focus of what Paul's writing on isn't about salvation. He's saying, for you are saved by grace. The focus, the point, is God's 
grace, his goodness to us. While we were still sinners, Christ did what? The king did what? He died for us. Paul goes on to write, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not from works. We can't earn it. We can't get there on our own so that no one can boast. You can't boast about it. You're not supposed to boast about your salvation in any way, shape, or form. You're supposed to boast about the God whose grace and faith that he blessed you with because it is a gift. Amen? And then it goes on in verse 10 to say, for we, it doesn't say individuals, it says we, collectively, together. There's no mention of personal salvation. For we, together, those who see him as resurrected king in our lives, who are living out by faith each and every day, no matter the cost of discipleship, we are his poema. We are his workmanship singular. There's only one. I'm not a workmanship. Mike's not a workmanship. Sue's not a workmanship. Tanya's not a workmanship. We're all being woven together into one work that is the bride and body of Jesus Christ. Amen? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. I think that's the part that we miss, folks. We're not saved, personal salvation. We're not redeemed by grace through faith so that we can just go on about our lives. We're saved by grace through faith as his poema, his workmanship to do the good works that God, Christ, prepared in advance for us to walk in. We got to do it. Amen? We got to do it. All right. So I wanted to make it really easy for us today. On this Easter resurrection morning, I'm going to make it as simple as ABC. So if you're sitting there and you're saying, Pastor, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not really, I'm not really clear on the point. What, what is it that you, you think God is calling us to do? Who does God, who does Christ, the King, want me to be? So A, B, C. The first A is abandonment. Are you recklessly abandoned in your life and your commitment to Christ? Are you? Abandonment. See, it's not just about me and my personal salvation. I got it. I got my hell insurance card around here somewhere. I got it. People say, when you get to heaven, what are you going to say when God asks you, why should you enter in? Well, because of Jesus. But are you living that way? Are we living that way right now, today, this past week? Who did you reach for the kingdom? The past month, the past year. This isn't a praise for Pastor Kevin. This is a praise for Poetry Baptist Church, the church. Is that over the last month, this little church in this little town that doesn't even exist as an actual town. We're just a populated area, according to Wiki and Google. We're not even a town or a city. We don't have our own post office. But this little church out here in the middle of nowhere, we've reached nearly 200,000 people with the gospel this week. 
200,000. And that's because of your faithfulness. If you come here and you tithe and you give, those tithes and offerings are going into reaching people with the gospel. It's not about programs. It's not about production. It's about the gospel. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, resurrected king. A, B, C, abandonment. Are you abandoned? The second one is B, belief. It's not just the kind of belief that we have in our head. Say, oh, I believe that. It's about belief in action. That's the only kind of belief that really exists. That's the only kind that matters. See, in the book of James, Jesus' brother, James writes, faith without works is, it's dead. So what are those works? Not earning our way, not buying a stairway to heaven, but doing the things that God prepared in advance for us to do. Is it in your head belief or is it action that's played out, that's lived out by faith in Christ, the King, day after day after day? Abandonment, A. Belief in action, B. And C is Christ. Christ. That word means king, but it's bigger than that, right? See, we think about the kings of medieval Europe and all of the, the infighting and the coups and kingdoms being turned over and someone else taking power in the fighting. See, this king is eternal, amen? This king is eternal. And before, Revelation tells us the lamb was slain before the foundation of the cosmos. Jesus didn't come, have to come up with a plan B. When humanity sinned in the garden, Christ didn't have to come up with a plan B. He'd already told the Father in eternity past, here I am, Dad, send me, I'll go. I'll die on a cross. I'll die on a cross to redeem humanity made in our image and likeness because, Dad, I want to glorify you with my life. I'll go down and I'll be born in a manger. I'll be, I'll be born in a filthy feeding trough, Dad. I'm okay with that. See, because if it's going to bring you glory, Dad, I'm okay with it. Is that how you feel about Jesus in your life? If Jesus said, I want you to go to China and be a missionary, would you argue with him? Or would you say, Jesus, my king, if it's going to bring you glory, then here I am. Send me. Amen? Abandonment, belief in action in Christ, the one who came, the one who called disciples to be fishers of men, the one who went to the cross, the one who suffered there, who died, and on the third day, today, we celebrate this Easter morning, resurrected from the dead. Are we surprised? We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be surprised that the eternal king, the one who spoke creation into existence that death couldn't hold him down it shouldn't shock us we shouldn't be surprised that when satan threw everything that he had at him including the kitchen sink that jesus said go away and satan ran satan ran jesus ascended to heaven and you know what he said i'm coming back I'm coming back, 
And between now and then, what are you going to do with your lives? If I'm really your king, Jesus is asking, if I'm really your king, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do? To bring him glory? Are we? See, you might have rolled in here this morning and said, I'm going to hear a, a, a nice, flowery, feel-good sermon. I'm going to walk out of here. I'm going to drive out of here. And I'm going to go to brunch. I'm going to go to brunch at home in the midst of this coronavirus. And by the way, Jesus is even sovereign over that. This too will pass. We have reached more people in the last couple of weeks since the coronavirus hit than we have in the previous two and a half years of my ministry here. ABC, abandonment. Are you abandoned? Belief. Belief in action. B. And C, Christ. He came, he called, he went, he suffered, he died. He was resurrected, he ascended, and he's returning. See, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So this morning, as you close your eyes and you call out to God, say, Jesus, my whole life, I thought it was about me and about my personal salvation. I thought it was about you being on my team instead of about me being on your team. I thought it was about you doing stuff for me, for my life, helping me advance, helping me get a better education and a, and a better job and a better position, moving up the corporate ladder, moving up the ladder of life. Jesus, I've treated you like an app on my phone that I only open up when I need you. Jesus, I've treated you like 911. I've treated you like the, the handle behind the the glass that I break only in case of emergencies. And Jesus, like those two blind men on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, this morning I want to call out to you, not for salvation, but for mercy. Jesus Christ, Son of David, Son of Abraham, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped for those two blind men, and he'll stop for you too. And all God's people said...